And here we go on Easter Sunday in Las Vegas. It's just after 8 o'clock. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live, same time every week on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are live right now at Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar, just down the road from Cashman Center. The address is 931 North Las Vegas Boulevard. Kickers will be our home for a while because due to COVID-19 protocol, all live shows has been booted from the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. And all we have been told is that is until further notice. It's been a long time that it's been further notice. But um, anyways, listen, if you're up mobile, come on down and join us. We'll get up with some free donuts and orange juice. And Kickers is offering mimosa and Bloody Mary specials during the show. Joining me on the show is longtime intern and social media director, Spencer the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Uh, Spencer, or I should say the Wiz, um, is the only intern in the world with his own theme music. And the Wiz also has his own sports talk show delivering sports Friday nights at 7 on KSHP, which is 1400 a.m. on your radio dial. Also part of the show and social distancing back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. Producer and future WWE star Dino Demon, a.k.a. Demond Cotton. The show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. You can also follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Uh, What's on Tap is brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company you can turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp funding America one neighborhood at a time. On Tap, a lot can change in a week. In one week, I've become a grandfather, and the Vegas Golden Knights have lost three in a row for the first time this season, maybe for the first time under Pete DeBoer, and they are no longer on top in the NHL's Western Division. Joining us in a few minutes for Nightcap is longtime NHL goalie and current Vegas Golden Knights television analyst Mike McKenna. Um, also, March Madness is down to the final two teams after one of the best semifinal games in history. And with four games today, uh, and, and that is just amazing. And again, um, I should say also uh, some interesting news in the NFL, Spencer. I don't know if you know about that, but uh, a team has signed one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's going to stay put, and he's looking for some help, and that's going to be kind of interesting as well. If you don't know what I'm talking about and you want to, stick around. Uh, we'll have, um, again, you know, come on down. If you guys are up in mobile, man, uh, we'll be on the air for about another hour, so come on down to Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar now. Uh, we'll be here right um, up until the end of the show, and that is at 931 North Las Vegas Boulevard, just down the road from Cashman Center and the Neon Graveyard. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp, Funding America, one neighborhood at a time. And um, Spencer, before we get going again, I want to just talk a little bit more about Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar. We're always pretty quiet here Monday on Monday morning. morning. We don't worry about catching coronavirus. coronavirus. Not, a not a lot of people in the morning, morning but, but this place, this place does get crowded. crowded. They, they are, are up to 50 percent capacity now, now, and that, and that will continue, continue to grow as time goes on. Uh, Kickers is uh, an amazing, amazing place. place. Uh, first of all, they are one of the very few standalone sports bars in downtown Las Vegas. Um, they have 17 TV big screens uh, showing all the games. What's really cool too is during the games, they play the game sound so you can hear everything that's going on. Uh, during the NFL season, they have the Sunday ticket. They are a Green Bay Packers theme bar, and during the Green Bay Packers games, they're going to give away jerseys, some Packers swag, which is pretty cool. And they've also got the NHL package, and it's really cool. During Vegas Golden Knights games, $2 shots all during the game, and every time the Knights score a goal, last night you wouldn't have gotten drunk. They only scored one, but there's times they score five and six goals, and you get free shots uh, every time the Vegas Golden Knights do do score a goal. Um, they're also, uh, they pay it forward as far as first responders and frontline workers throughout this thing. They are giving you 50% off beverages 
all the time, 24-7, man. Come on in and check that out. And one of the really cool things about this place is they show all the UFC and pay-per-view fights. You got to get here early. This place does fill up, but they're not charging you to get in and see that. And if you want to follow them on social media, you can stay up to date with all the events, viewing parties, and all the happenings here at Kickers. Again, Jennifer Metzger, Dylan Reese do a great job. Man, this place is awesome. You can see the graffiti behind us if you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook. Um, pretty impressive, man. So definitely come on down and check this place out. Um, let's get right to things, Spencer, and let's hit nightcap because last night uh, while I was there, again, you know, I go to a lot of the games, and um, again, three in a row they've lost. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Nice play there, and the puck is just sitting loose. And Erickson Eck picks up his own rebound and just shovels it past Fleury. The golden jersey's not too golden for the Vegas Golden Knights last night as your Joel Erickson scored that in the third period. That put the Minnesota Wild ahead to stay. They ended up winning the game 2-1. to one. Second straight game that the Golden Knights had a lead in the game um, and blew it. And uh, really surprising them. Um, Three in a row, man. The first time this season they've lost three in a row. They're now not in in front in the Western Conference in the Western Division, I should say, as things have been mixed up a little bit here during COVID. But um, really kind of disturbing. Uh, this this team is not putting the puck in the net like they have been, and I'm not sure exactly what the problem is. Joining us right now on Nightcap uh, to help us out and maybe explain some of this. A long time, uh, well, he's in Vegas a long time ago. Once upon a time, a Las Vegas Wrangler. As a matter of fact, uh, Mike McKenna, if I, I believe, holds the NA, the AHL record uh, playing with 13 different franchises, if I'm not mistaken. Goaltender here years ago when I first came to Vegas, I went and saw Mike playing for the Las Vegas Wranglers. So Mike, a longtime native and now actually a member of the t- television broadcast team of the Vegas Gold after he retired in 2019. Mike, first of all, welcome to Adeline. Appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, happy to. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I do have some records, not for the right reasons. It's for a lot of teams played uh, in the American League and in the NHL. Uh, Myself, Sean Burke, Ron Tugnut, nine NHL teams dressed for. I'm on the record books for something. So there it is. Hey, it's pretty cool. You did a good job. You played in two Calder, two Calder Cup championship series, which is pretty cool. And uh, you had a heck of a season here years ago. Um, All-star game. I mean, you really, really did a good job in the net there. Now retired, you get an opportunity to come back to Vegas and join the broadcast team. Did you ever think back when you were playing with the Wranglers? And I've asked a lot of NHL players that have been on the show that there would one day be an NHL franchise in Las Vegas. No, I didn't at all. I mean, it was a really good minor league market. It was kind of a niche sport at the time in the city. And I, I heard heard rumblings for a lot of years that the NHL did have eyes on Vegas for an NHL for a team. And I, and I kept thinking like, really, is that going to happen? Cause the city big enough, can it support it? The city's obviously grown, but it's gone through trials and tribulations, man. Like the 2008 housing crash was right after I was in Vegas. And I remember how hard it hit this city and thinking, man, that's going to really play into never getting a team. Well, sure enough, here it is. Uh, and it's obviously exceeded every expectation. It's, it's amazing to think when I was here from 2005 to seven with the Wranglers, when we were a blip on the radar to what you see now at the Golden Knights, you can't go anywhere without seeing logos and signage on cars and, and people all in. It's, it's just incredible, man. During the United States, being from Detroit myself, which you know is dubbed hockey town, I grew up playing hockey myself, and uh, I never thought I would see 
uh, an audience like I see out here in Las Vegas. The, the West Coast has really embraced this sport, and they're getting knowledgeable, and they've gained a lot of knowledge in a hurry, and it is really cool. And and, and that's also attributed to the success of this franchise. Uh, George McPhee putting this team together. Gerard Gallant, the perfect coach to get this team started and up and running. And, and how cool, and I don't want to say cool because obviously October 1st of 2017, one of the biggest tragedies in American history that happened at the Mirage and the shooting at the country concert but this city kind of came together because of that and the vegas golden knights just kind of accentuated that as they have the most successful season in um in expansion franchise history in any sport ever making it to the stanley cup finals in their very first season i'm um, like it was so magical being here and getting an opportunity to cover them especially being from detroit and uh you know adopting this team as my second favorite hockey team um it, it was magical and the fact that they continue to have this success. How surprising is that to you as a guy that's played at the, at the highest level to see a team that is an expansion team, not like a team that moved from another city, but you put these guys together and I'm wearing a shirt actually that one of my, uh, one of our sponsors gave me a couple of years ago saying the misfits of Las Vegas, because these were all guys that were considered not in the top 10 best players on their team when they first came here. And that's why they were available and to put it together like this, but it's one thing to have one magical season, but now you've had three playoff one runs. You've played in two conference championship series, one Stanley Cup finals, and a team again that does have the makings to make a run, although they're in a little bit of slump right now. How amazing is that? Well, it's just, it's the surprising aspect of it is just how there's been the sustainability of it. And, you know, usually when you think of expansion teams, it's going to be tough times the first five, six years before you have a chance at winning anything, even getting out of your conference in terms of playoffs compared to what the Golden Knights did that first season. And I was still playing at the time uh, for their first year, first two seasons of existence. And I remember be, being around the league and thinking, like, is this really real? What is going on here? Because we all knew that some of the players on the club, like let's take Will Carlson, for example. Will Carlson was a good centerman. You know, he'd play third line he never really got an opportunity for second line when he was with Columbus and Anaheim. And you see someone like him come to Vegas and he scores 43 goals his first year and everybody around the league is going, what's going on? Like we knew he was good, uh, but we didn't know this. And there were just a lot of those players. And you talk about George McPhee, how he was able to uh, manipulate the expansion draft, utilizing draft picks, utilizing everything he could to make the team as best as possible. It was a masterful job and they hit the right chemistry. And, you know, the longer I've been in Vegas now since retiring, you touched on something that as somber and tragic as it was uh, October 1st, you do see how the entire city rallied around it, how the Vegas Golden Knights became something that the entire city could bond with. It became their own. It wasn't It wasn't a relocated team. It wasn't the Raiders, frankly, right? Which, I mean, that's a California team. Okay, now they're Vegas. Well, the Golden Knights are Golden Knights. They are Vegas through and through. And, and I've gotten to know some people that, that have really explained to me the, the meaning of that. And I think ever since then, watching how the front offices, frankly, swung for the fences. If there's a big player on the market, whether through free agency or through trade market, they go for it. I mean, you got Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Alex Petrangelo in the door to what was an expansion team three years ago, three and a half years ago. That says an awful lot about the culture and what players want in terms of playing conditions, of livability. They want to play for a winner. They want to play in a fun place, and Vegas meets those requirements. And, you know, talking about it, um, Mike, the, the, the most transient city in the country, Las Vegas, a vacation yeah. destination of the world. And again, that tragedy did all of a sudden people are walking down the street saying hello to each other. Where before that incident, they just walked past each other because we we're all from different places. And um, it's been amazing to me to see this happen. And as you said, um, George McPhee, just the master, of course, a protege of Herbie Brooks uh, with the famous Miracle on Ice. And he learned something through this guy of how to gel players and realize maybe it's not the most gifted and talented players, but it's players that will work together to achieve a common goal. And you're right, that first year, William Carlson and that line of Jonathan Marchso and Riley Smith was absolutely magical to see what those guys did playing together. And it's and all three of them still a part of this team here in their fourth season now. But you are right. You know, I tell people all the time that, you know, somehow Mark Stone has flown under the radar, you know, because you got Connor McDavid out there. You got Austin Matthews, you know, even, uh, even Nate McMillan over 
over in, in, in Colorado, and people weren't talking enough about Mark Stone, and now we're seeing how valuable this guy was and what a fitting player to wear the very first C for the Vegas Golden Knights. That was awesome, and the way him and Patches work together is pretty incredible as well. But this team right now, Mike, and you've watched it throughout the year, they, they really have been on a nice run, especially have had the number of the California teams this year. But a lot of people consider the Western Division probably the weakest division of the four in hockey. I don't like to say that, but they look at them. Although the upper teams in this division, Colorado, you know, a really, really strong, powerful, very fast team. And we see Minnesota, what they can do as well, a gritty team that is just going to hang around. And if you don't put them away, they're going to come back and beat you as they've done with the Golden Knights the last couple of games. What is going on right now? And again, I have said you know, when, when Gerard Gallant got, got, you know, got let go, everyone was shocked. He was such a popular figure in this town. And I'm like, you don't understand. Pete DeBoer is a, is a, is a maestro. This guy, he, he takes no prisoners. He's a quiet guy that will just continue to make the changes necessary to make this team successful. And everything was working, but all of a sudden lately, they have fallen on hard times. Is this just a little bump in the road, or is this something we've got to start being concerned about as the season wind, that winds down? Well, you would lose three straight, you're concerned, for sure. I mean, you can lose one or two in a row, and that happens throughout the season. But the really good teams, boy, they don't lose two in a row very often, much less three. But it's still, I know everybody says that this is a shortened, it's a condensed season, it's 56 games, it's a sprint. 56 games is still a lot of hockey. You know, like think about football. I mean, think about how many games they play, right, for a full season. It's a third of what's going on right now in the NHL. It's a lot of hockey. And sometimes you have to really look in the through a macro lens for these things and, and just see that, hey, they are having trouble scoring right now. Well, they've, they have had a ton of hockey Maybe they're just hitting a little bit of mental fatigue right now. Maybe they're at that point where they're just sludging through the season because every single player has that at some point, whether it's halfway, two-thirds of the way through the year. You just want some time off, and you're not going to get it this season. You know, Usually you've got an all-star break to look forward to. Maybe you have your bye week to look forward to. That's not this year. So there's things that are going on, but they're also playing against the Minnesota Wild, which that's not just a good team. That is a very good team. That is a team that can contend. You watch the way they play. They defend well. They're fast. They have good goaltending. They have skill. They have young players that are coming through. That's a really good hockey team. And so for the Golden Knights to drop two against them, uh, you know, the, the series split right now is in favor of Minnesota. They have won again games against them, but I don't buy into the Honda West being any better or worse than any other division in hockey. I don't think anybody can make that judgment call this year when they don't play teams from other divisions. I just don't. I, and I think that you know, San Jose's in the picture now for playoffs. Arizona, St. Louis, like, it's a dogfight. And that's what you're getting to. And, and for the Golden Knights, yeah, the power play isn't any good right now. It's been brutal. It's got to be better. They need somebody on the third line to step up and put some pucks in the net. You know, they, they need a healthy decor. They'd like to have White Cloud back, but they have that depth. I just think right now they're at a point where there's been some flux. There's been injuries. Stevenson gets suspended. It's just kind of thrown things out of whack. Right? It's like it's like you got one one hit peg that's like weighted heavier on the roulette table and keeps spinning. You know what I mean? So um, I'd look at it as a blip. But if we start talking four or five games on a skid, that's a whole different story. Uh, but this is a solid team. They're constructed well. They know how to win. Uh, I'm pretty confident that they're going to be able to get out of it. Yeah, they, they take to the road for a couple games before returning home. Their first ever Stanley Cup championship. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be a formidable a formidable matchup going on the road. Then they come back, and they're playing a team, as you just mentioned, Arizona, who is fighting for that fourth playoff spot in the Western Division. So a tough road ahead. But you are right. Watching the Minnesota Wild, you've got to understand, I've watched Cam Talbot the last couple games stand on his head. Some amazing saves that he made. And one of the great yeah. young players, we're seeing him come up in hockey. They've got the rookie scoring leader right now in the league in Kirill Kaprasov, who, who, again, in the last two games, scored the, the equalizer in both those games, yeah. which helped help move Minnesota ahead. So well, what is it, big, in your opinion, going to take to put this team, get them back on track? Well, I, I don't think it's much. You know, I, I think there's frustration there for sure. You mentioned Cam Talbot, and yeah, Talbot played really well, but there was also the Talbot effect going on by the second game, by last night. I saw Vegas Golden Knights players passing up shots looking for something better from really good areas of the ice from the middle of the ice. And that shows the confidence isn't there. That shows they're searching. That shows that the other team's goaltenders in their head. They don't think they can beat him clean. Well, you got to be able to take those chances. You've got to dial in. 
Jonathan Marshall missed the net six times last night. That's not typical for him. He's usually a very accurate shooter, and he fills the net. You know, those are the types of things that you look at in terms of the mental factor, the mental consistency, and and if you're able to get out of a slump, those way those pucks start finding ways to get to the net, and it, it, it's hard to quantify that because you can't just turn it on. You know, sometimes it takes a big play. Sometimes it takes a big power play. Sometimes it takes some big hits, and having Ryan Reeves out of the lineup, that's tougher on the team as well. Carrie Nosek Reeves, that fourth line, can generate momentum. They can generate a heavy forecheck. They didn't have that against Minnesota with Reeves out. That's a factor as well. So I do think Stevenson back in is going to get some speed in the lineup. Reeves hopefully isn't out long term, so you can get back to your heavy forecheck and have that type of game as well. If you combine those, uh, I like how it looks, but until then, I think that they've they've just got to find that swagger and, and start to start to care less. You know, you start to care too much, you start missing nets, missing opportunities. Just play, play, put the puck on the net, and also Pete DeBoer. You know, you'll you know you think maybe you'll see him mixing up the lines a little bit more. I mean, he seems to have a pretty good system in place, but again, when you're not getting the puck in the net, you got to mix things up a little bit. And at the end of the game, when the Knights had the extra attacker, when they put Fleur, when they sent Flurry to the bench, you know, again, Jonathan March, so a guy you mentioned, I saw him make an errant pass with like 30 seconds to go in the game. That can't happen. Yeah, well, and it's here's the thing, like. Marcheseau's had a great year. I'm not picking on him by any stretch. It's it's just what I see with these last moment, you know, plays that in the past they've made. They scored with a second left. They've scored with 20 seconds left. Well, we haven't seen that lately. They've gotten down in games and they haven't been able to come back just in this recent stretch. And that's been their hallmark through the season, right? They get down. Uh, whatever second period they're losing it doesn't matter they can be down three to one they come back and win well the reality of hockey is that doesn't happen very often that's not normal to be able to come back from three one deficits but the golden knights have so we start to expect them to be able to do that all the time it speaks to the importance of starting games on time getting a lead in the first carrying it through the game second periods haven't been great for the golden knights that's an area they've got to be better with the long change but they've got to set themselves up for the third better, especially down the stretch when all these teams are fighting for playoff spots and hungry, they are not going to roll over. And that has to be something. You've got to come through on the power play, and you've got to protect shorthanded. Last night, giving up a shorthanded goal, and, and two nights ago in the, in, the, in the overtime loss, in the shootout loss, they had a four-on-three in, yeah. in overtime, there is almost no excuse to not score when you have wide open ice and you have an extra attacker in that situation. Well, four on threes are a nightmare. I mean, from, I'm, I'm an old goalie, you know, like, and I would almost yeah. rather face a five on three than a four on three. And I know that sounds crazy because there's more players on the ice. And the reason being with four on three, there's just so much open ice, like you said. And it's so easy to rip seams with passes and get the puck moving quickly. And for goalies, if you can't get your feet set, that's everything, you know. And Kaprizov's goal last night, Fleury can't do anything about the back door. Uh, second goal on Erickson Eck, I mean, Fleury's pushing into it, so he can't control that rebound. But he'd have had to have a shutout to win that game. Power play, it's critical. Mark Stone said it last night that when you get into these close battles, when you get down the stretch, sometimes it's as simple as special teams because systematically teams start to understand one another so well that games get pretty tight. It gets tight in the neutral zone. You don't have as many odd man rushes, typically at least, and it can come down to penalty kill and power play. PK has been good for the Golden Knights. They had didn't get it last night, but that power play is really where they're going to have to look to improve down the road. Yeah, they had that problem early in the season. They seem to correct it in the middle of the season and here we're back to square one again maybe not square one but where they need to figure it out and again yeah. I looked to Pete DeBoer to fix that up because he really is a motivator and he's a guy that in his career to this point has always gotten the most out of his players and I think we'll see it again is this team honestly Mike and I know we're all homers we're both wearing our Vegas Golden Knights hats but is this team truly a Stanley Cup contender this year oh yeah yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, listen, I talk to people around the league all the time, and everybody says, wow, that team's for real. That is a deep lineup. I, I think what you get nervous about with every single team is what do you look like come playoff time? Are you healthy? That's the great X factor. You can never bank on that. You don't know. 
I look at Colorado last season. They had banged up players. The goalies got banged up. They were missing bodies. And that was a really strong club that underperformed because they just simply didn't have the personnel. Well, Vegas, this team is deep. And even missing a piece or two, they have what a lot of people seem to think around the league is still enough to get there. But I, I think that, you know, we micromanage things so often in terms of what's going wrong. You know, it's been three games. Power play is not good. Well, let's keep it in perspective. This team is 24-10-2. And that's, I mean, you're, you're a top team in the entire league. They have the goaltending. They have defense that can move the puck. They've been getting scoring from them. Do they need more depth scoring up front? Does it come from within? That's what's going to be determined. I think they could probably still use a bit more up front. I know hope, there's a big hope that Cody Glass or Keegan Colasar can start filling the net uh, and fill that role from within because that'd be the, the best way to do it. You don't want to have to look outside, especially in a cap world and as strange as things are. You want it to come from within. But they lost in the shootout. Colasar had some amazing chances, and simply Cam Talbot took it away from him. He robbed him a couple of times. But let's talk about, finally, your area of expertise, obviously, goaltending. And the Vegas Golden Knights have been very blessed. We've got a guy here. We've got the Tom Brady of goaltenders in uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, who just doesn't seem to want to diminish. His skills do not diminish. The guy, again, playing at the top of his game, Mark seems to just you know, continue to get better as the season goes along. What do you do about the goaltending when you've got a guy like, obviously they brought Robin Leonard in here last year to be the heir apparent to Marc-Andre Fleury. And Marc-Andre Fleury said, uh, not quite yet. How do you manage that going forward? And as a goaltender, you know, you, you obviously want to play every night. You just do. You get into a rhythm. You want to play every night. But when you've got a guy like Robin Leonard, you got a guy in his upper 30s like Marc-Andre Fleury, what do you do? How do you manage that? Well, the age factor means nothing for me with Flurry. He's in absolutely incredible shape. And as you said, like he continues to push himself to push his own game forward. He's self-motivated. Uh, there's, you don't make it to the 36, 37, 38 in the NHL without knowing how to adapt and how to improve yourself. He's always done that. Uh, I, I think what it really comes down to with the two goaltenders is you let them both play. And I, I do believe in my heart of hearts, though, that it's tough to throw away what Marc-Andre Fleury's done already this season and go back to a straight rotation. But you have to let Robin Leonard earn the net if he's going to do so. That's just kind of the way things work as a goaltender is that once you get one goaltender who's really been your rock, you want to ride that person. But when you have the luxury of having two goalies that are both capable of carrying the mail, you got to be smart about it. You know, If I'm Marc-Andre Fleury, I'm thinking, yeah, if... If Robin plays some here, this is good for all of us. We, we're fresh. We're winning. The ultimate goal is to win the Stanley Cup, period. And, and that's every player dreams of that. Both of these goalies are going to be a part of it. I think as you get closer down the stretch, whoever's playing best is going to start to have more starts. And again, like I said, I think right now you, you have to hedge Flurry because he's played so well, he's been healthy, and he's carried the team. But if Robin Leonard catches fire, and if Mark andre has a couple games that aren't great, like – there's no harm in switching that up, and that's the luxury that the coaching staff has. They have two bullets in the chamber. They don't just have one person that they have to rely on at all times. And if you talk to the goalies, they'll look at it that way too. Like they, they goal, We love competition as goalies. We want it. We crave it because I'm not going to be my best in the net if I don't have somebody to push me. And that's exactly what Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury do for one another in a friendly way, in a, in a competitive way, supporting one another, but always wanting to better the guy, the next guy when you go in the net. Mike McKenna, he's a former NHL goalie. He is the, uh, one of the TV analysts for the Vegas Golden Knights. And Mike, final question for you. Who do you think right now, and I have my own and I've discussed it on the show, but I want to hear from you. Who do you think really needs to step up their game to help this team get a little bit better and push them over the top. You mentioned the third line. Obviously, you've got to get more productivity out of that third line. But who do you think, uh, and not calling anyone out, but but again, who do you think really needs to step up their game? Well, it's, listen, these are sports. So being called out is what we do, right? Like you're not calling anyone out if you just look at what's going on with their statistics or how they're playing. And I mean, a person who's totally flown under the radar this year for the Golden Knights is, is Nick Waugh. You know, last season, he was a big piece for the team. He brought a ton of offense. He brought puck control and possession all over the ice. He played up four, first to fourth line. He has not been done much this season. And that third line, again, he's been a part of it. 
He's actually been in and out of the lineup at times because it just hasn't been there. I think if he can get Nick Waugh going again, if he can get his confidence up and driving the net. You know, last night I saw him get into the offensive zone several times, stay right on the outside wall, and turn up the ice. Well, that's easy to fend. You've got to push to the middle of the ice. You've got to force the issue. Uh, had an assist last night, but I would really look to Nick Waugh to be the person – I think for the Golden Knights, once they get healthy, if you get him going, if you can get him scoring and at least involved in crashing the net and getting to the front and doing more like he did last season, that'd be great. He also needs a bit of stability, though. He's got to find a home, whether it's at center or on the wing. He's bounced around so much that it can be tough to, to find that consistency. He's the guy I'd really look to. I think he can. if you can unlock him, it'll unlock a lot of the offense of the Golden Knights from that depth side of things. We appreciate you. That is Mike McKenna, again, TV analyst for the Vegas Gold Knights. Thanks for joining the show. We'll definitely have you on again. Happy to. Anytime. You guys you have a great setup here. I get to use my good mic and my earbuds. Man, this, this is great. <laughs> hey, I, my face is on. I love it. It's great. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> We'll talk to him again, uh, Mike McKenna. Appreciate him joining the show. And, um, you know, a lot of really good points, Spencer, about the Vegas Golds. And Nick Wah is one of the people we've talked about in the past. Jonathan Marchessault is someone he brought up that you've spoken about that um, really last night I saw him make a very errant pass at the end of the game. And really there's about 30 seconds to go. You're trying to press. You're trying to get the puck on the net. And he just kind of pushed it over. It got intercepted. And really it took away about 17 seconds and, and probably their last real good ditch effort to, to get back and score the game, tie it, and go to overtime. you got to see him step up more. Um, all these guys really – You've got to play on the power play. And we said it at the beginning of the season, that was a problem. And then they seem to fix it. And now it's a problem again. And when you've got the talent that they have, like a Mark Stone, Patch Reddy, William Carlson, that put the puck on the net, you got to score. Uh, yeah, and Mike was uh, very generous on his way to say it, but I won't be nearly as nice. Jonathan Marshall has been boo-boo the fool this entire season. Uh, I've, you know, we talked about it last week. And uh, also, I, I agree with him on a lot of fronts, though, almost – 99% of them in that it is a very long season. I don't think we can panic just quite yet on a three game losing streak. I mean, it's bound to happen. You see it even during the course of an NBA season for any of the best teams. It may not be as regular. It may only happen once a season. Uh, but you know, this night, this night's team is very resilient. We're so deep. It's not like we're relying on one or two players to get it done every night. And they're in a slump. Eventually some guy will step up and the balance will kind of make its way there. Uh, I think they'll be a-okay. They just played a lot of great competition in the last few games, and it's caught up to them a little bit. It's got to be a little exhausting. The way they play the games now, it's not so segmented like we're used to, uh, you know, in the regular season. Like, they play four-game stands, like little mini playoff series. I mean, you can't really compare that to any other season when they're, you know, they'll play the Kings and they'll play the Sharks and they'll go around. Here you're playing against high-quality competition every other night, sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. And the key is you can't blow leads. I mean, you know, something we talked about the last two games, they've blown leads and that hurts you because it does mess up your confidence. And he is right. A goaltender, when a goaltender gets into your head and we, we definitely saw that with Cam Talbot, the last couple of games, that can be a problem. And, uh, but we'll see. I, I agree. I think they'll write the ship. I think Pete DeBoer is the right guy. Can this team win a Stanley cup for sure? But there are some real formidable opponents out there that are going to make it awful tough. And I'm excited to see. I like the abbreviated season in the respect. It does push them a little farther. And I am interested to see what happens with Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard going forward as well. Um, we'll talk more about that, obviously, as the week's coming, as we get closer to the playoffs. Uh, but again, we are down live at Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar, uh, 931 North Las Vegas Boulevard. We're here for about another 20 minutes or so. So Come on down. And again, Vegas Gold Knights game. People, there is no better place to watch the game. You're getting $2 shots during the game and free shots every time the Vegas Gold Knights score a goal. So make sure you check out Kickers Gaming and Sports Bar. Come on down and check them out. Again, 17 big screens, 15 gaming machines. This place is happening, and it is a really cool vibe. And it's a standalone bar. Plus, they have their tavern license, which means the beer you get at the bar, you can actually purchase and take home with you. Another very rare opportunity. So check that out. Uh, Spencer so let's get to uh, fact this. Fact this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. It is a fact. For the first time since the NCAA men's basketball tournament field expanded to 64 teams in 1985, 
The championship game will feature two teams playing for their first ever national championship. This could be more fitting. Uh, I couldn't be more fitting, I should say, because the two teams playing for the title were also the preseason polls, top two teams in the country. And between them, they have the highest combined winning percentage ever to play in a championship game. Almost 97%, two losses by Baylor, none by Gonzaga. And of course, uh, Wow, 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 what a game yesterday. Everyone thought the Baylor-Houston game might be close. No one thought the Gonzaga-UCLA game would be close. Gonzaga has been killing everyone throughout the, the throughout the entire thing, and they damn nearly lost last night, if not for an unbelievable shot by Jalen Suggs at the end of the game, um, nearly a half quarter that he banked off. Uh, as a matter of fact, play, go ahead and play that. If you haven't seen this, check this out. Juzang. Again with the ball in his hands, in the paint, floater, short, got it back, ties it with three. Gonzaga has time to do something. Suggs for the win. Oh, oh yes! Oh, oh yes! Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Oh. The perfect season remains on go. Are you? Oh my God! There is. Oh. There are onions, Jim, and then there are nature. Spencer, I don't even know what to say about that. It was one of the most amazing games. I didn't see the game live because I went to the Vegas Golden Knights game last night, but I got home and recorded. I'm like, nobody tell me what's going on in that game. I don't want to hear about it. I want to go home and watch it myself. And everyone's like, you are in for a real treat. The way people were telling me that, I had a feeling, God, did UCLA upset them? They nearly did with under a minute to go in overtime. UCLA down again, um, five points. And Johnny Jerzang, man, just an unbelievable basketball player. That guy just, he gets his own rebound, puts it back for a tie. And UCLA's like, okay, we're going to double overtime. There's three and a half seconds to go. And Suggs just runs, Suggs just runs down the, the court and, and banks it. Do you know that he was, um, in, I believe, I can't think of the state now, but he was the quarter, the, the football player of the year, a high school player of the year in football and basketball, chose basketball, said he misses football every game. He was a quarterback in high school, but my God in heaven, he said they practiced his half-court shot, and you could tell about about halfway to the basket, he knew what was going in, and everyone knew what was going in. Mark Few just didn't know what to say about it. I mean, it is, I guess, better to see the better team survive. I don't know if UCLA could pull off one more miracle against Baylor. Had they won that game, who knows? But um, one of the most incredible final games. I matter of fact, incredible basketball games I've ever seen at the collegiate level, Spencer. That was so incredibly cool. And especially the run, the, the run that UCLA made from a from a play-in game at the 11th seed, beating Michigan State. They nearly lost that game to Michigan State. And then to make the run they did, beating the likes of Alabama, who many people thought had a chance, including me. I had them in the championship game in my bracket. And then beating Michigan. I don't care that Isaiah Livers wasn't there. This team just played scrappy. They played junkyard street ball. And they found a way to make it all the way to the final four and damn nearly made it to the championship game last night. Not just does it say a great deal about their players, but Mick Cronin, who almost was a coach at UNLV, has definitely proved his worth. One of very few coaches who is now has coached in 10 straight. He's been to 10 straight uh, NCAA tournaments, mostly with Cincinnati the last two years with UCLA. But um, I can't say enough about that game, man. It was nuts. Yeah, so, I mean, that run that we're talking about here with UCLA is the epitome of why we love March Madness. Just someone, a 17-point dog, no one cares about him. Everyone's thinking, all right, we'll just move on to the Baylor finals. And, uh, you know, Gonzaga, I don't even think it was that they played necessarily a bad game. It's just UCLA was so just ramped up. And there's so many great macro conversations you can have about this game. And uh, the first one that I'll say is that this felt like the first kind of real sporting event since the whole pandemic started. You know, you have the Super Bowl, it feels a little washed down, and the Stanley Cup and the NBA Finals, nobody was even watching. But here, everybody seemed engaged. People are talking about it all over the country. So it's really nice to see something like that, you know, as people are getting the vaccines and we're getting back to a little bit of normalcy, to have a game that is like a classic that so many people remember for such a long time. Although it is unfortunate that if you did have a full crowd there, I mean, UCLA probably would have had a better chance to complete the upset because – no matter who's there watching the game, they probably wouldn't all be Gonzaga and UCLA fans or a lot of just general fans. And when you see a low seed like that do something so incredible and compete at such a high level when they weren't supposed to, I mean, the whole stadium would have been blowing up. But 
the other conversation quickly I wanted to have about this game is there's this whole conversation about players going straight to the G League, about going overseas. And in this game, I mean, what kind of a better display can you have, uh, you know, for these guys who, who are, might be thinking about making some of those tough decisions? But three players from Gonzaga are likely going to be going in the top 10 in this draft. And is there any better way as a college you know, player to have yourself be scouted than on the national stage like that? It just shows you that the, you know, college basketball isn't going anywhere anytime soon. There was a narrative that it was dying, but when you see something like that, every single player in the country probably would rather play for Gonzaga or UCLA than play, you know, on some random team in Australia or Germany, you know, wherever the case may be, you know, that, that's just uh, kind of my biggest takeaways from the game, but it's just so fun. It was one of the best basketball games I've seen in a very, very long time. Oh, there's no doubt. 620 tomorrow night's the national championship game between Baylor and Gonzaga. We'll talk about it in a minute, but wrapping up this game, you're 100% right. It is it is so nice to see something like this, and it shows you why March Madness in the NCAA tournament is the greatest sport spectacle in the world, in my opinion. There's nothing like it. The one-and-done scenario, the underdog, you get the Cinderella team at UCLA that was playing really poorly at the end of the season, and all of a sudden, they catch fire in the postseason. They do have an absolute stud in Johnny Jersey. We said, but then you see a little guy like Tiger Campbell, 5'10, and this guy just absolutely played great, went in amongst the trees. And it's hard to get in the lane when you've got a guy like Drew Timmy, who's six foot ten and just such a good player, both with his back to the basket and he can make the outside shot, he can play defense, he can block shots. And this team just played so well together. And you know, to think about it, I think UCLA was like a 14-point underdog or 14 half point underdog in this game. No, the entire they they were you know it was us them against the world the entire way and whatever Mick Cronin did to to light this team up I mean this guy is a a future Hall of Fame coach I mean ten straight tournaments now um, wherever he goes too bad UNLV didn't find a way to wrap this guy up and he is just he's brought UCLA back to prominence in two years both years to the NCAA tournament this year, a final four appearance with a team you didn't think had a chance and really, really exciting. Um, I can't wait to see the future of UCLA, although Jerzang is probably not going to stick around. I can't imagine him staying with this team, and that will definitely change the dynamics of UCLA if he does decide to declare himself eligible for the NBA draft, and I can't see why he wouldn't. He has all the talent and ability right now to stay start at the next level on most teams in the NBA. So he probably won't be there. Like I said, Gonzaga is going to get a complete facelift because there is no doubt three guys on that team for sure are going pro. And there's four or five that probably down the road will be NBA players as well. Mark Few, talk about a guy that has an incredible knack for recognizing and getting and delivering the best talent in the country. It's always this guy. And that's why Gonzaga in 21 years by winning that game, I don't know if you know, but last night winning that game, he's had 21 seasons now at the collegiate level. He has averaged 30 wins a year at the collegiate level. I don't know that any other coach has that kind of winning percentage. He is absolutely amazing. Granted, it might not be a power five conference, but he's beating power five teams and Gonzaga could easily play in a power five conference. And man, if they went to the PAC 12, they would have been the best team, obviously in the PAC 12 this year. So he is at that level, and I love seeing the guy have the success. Moving ahead now to the game that we're going to see tomorrow night, Gonzaga and Baylor, and it's really cool for those of you who don't know. And Alan Snell, if you are listening out there, I'm sure you saw it, but your boy who used to love here at UNLV, Jonathan Tachua, is coming off the bench for Baylor. 21 minutes, he had 11 points, six rebounds and an assist yesterday for the Baylor Bears off the bench. Of course, a former UNLV player that's getting to play in a national championship game. I don't know what to think about this game. It's hard to be seeing anybody beat Gonzaga, especially they finally had a um, survive and advance game for real yesterday. Baylor's had you know pretty much a cakewalk throughout this entire thing because they play so well defensively. They are the best defensive team in the country, in my opinion. They're a tough team to beat, um, and they're going to be a real tough out. But you look at the great scoring power of Gonzaga. They lead the nation in scoring in, in, and in field goal percentage, and they also do a great job sharing the basketball. They lead the nation in assists per game at 18 assists per game. When you're talking about Baylor, again, maybe the best defense in the country, and they lead the nation in making threes, an area Gonzaga is going to have to cover or Baylor can beat them. Um, so yeah, there's a obviously many things going on in this game, but the one thing I'll say that's so special about this Gonzaga squad, and I kind of mentioned it, besides the fact that they're going to have three first-round picks in the first round, if not the top ten, 
is a guy who is Timmy, who you just mentioned a little bit ago, someone who doesn't necessarily have NBA aspirations. He's kind of, he plays the game like Sabonis, but he would never be able to do that at the higher level. He's not the size or power forward. He's not the weight of it. But in the context of college basketball, absolutely he has all the intangibles because he's just playing against smaller people naturally. And I'm talking pounds and besides height. And the way he's able to just put his back to the basket and slow the game down. And we all know that they're one of the fastest teams in the country in two. But the great thing about it, like I said, he doesn't have NBA aspirations. He's no, he's not going to make it. So this is everything to him. So backing behind these three guys who have the ability to play at the next level is someone who's putting all of their heart and soul. I think he's a senior as well. So this is it for him. I mean, this is the biggest run he'll have in his collegiate career. And man, he just... He was unstoppable last night. They couldn't guard him. It was unbelievable to see that. A really old-fashioned type of way to play the game. Well, he's going to sure play, play in Europe. Europe. He won't play in the NBA, but I think this guy is going to play in Europe, and he can be a star over there. And one thing about Timmy is he played the last six minutes of this game with four fouls, showing what a cerebral player he is and to avoid. Because if Timmy goes out, that really changes the dynamic of the game for Gonzaga and UCLA probably wins that game and Timmy knew his value and understood and taking that charge late in the game was gigantic where it could have been a block had he been moving either of his feet just just a great job all the way around love seeing that game and and, and really am looking forward to this Baylor game and looking forward to this game and I'm looking forward to the call in this game you got Sean McDonough and Dick Vitale calling in the game tomorrow night I don't know how many more how many more games Dick Vitale can call this is going to be give him a heart attack how good this this game could be tomorrow. What do you see happening in this game tomorrow? You know, they say defense wins championship, and Baylor has as lockdown of a defense. Uh, Drew has done just an amazing job orchestrating this defense and this team, and the way they play zone and they switch to man, their, their switches are amazing. Their off-ball defense and off-ball defending is incredible. What do you see happen in this game tomorrow night? Yeah, I'm going to be putting some money on Gonzaga. I don't know what the opening line for this game is necessarily, but – I just think they have a little too much talent. I think having a game like that against UCLA couldn't have been better for them. And you, you know, you said it, you were right on the nose in that Baylor really hasn't had to face too big of a competition without a crowd as well. When you place, you face these lower seeds and Houston, I think just played a dud, which is so disappointing because I actually kind of liked them in the upset in that game. Clearly I was quite wrong, but they're not used to facing someone like Gonzaga and surely not in the past three games. And I just, it's going to be a little overwhelming for them, I believe, that they're going to feel they're a little too high. Gonzaga is going to be wired as all can be. They're not going to have to travel anywhere. You know, they're just getting ready for this game tomorrow. Uh, so I'm, I'm putting it all on the Zags. I think they're going to have an undefeated season. They'll go down as one of the greatest college basketball teams of all time. Yeah, first one since Indiana did in the mid-70s. And uh, I, you know what? I agree with you, Spencer, because I think the last thing, you know, Baylor may be thinking, and maybe Julius, hey, they used it up, man. They played overtime, down to the wire. They used so much emotion. But see, I look at it as the opposite of that. I think that was the wake-up call that Gonzaga needed said, wow, we are not impermeable. We can be beat. An 11 seed nearly did the job against them. And UCLA, the three overtime games of the tournament, I don't think that's ever happened before. So that was a wake-up call that Baylor did not need Gonzaga to get, where Gonzaga now says, hey, let's not take this thing lightly. There's no way we're guaranteed. And they understand that Baylor is the second-best team in the country, and they really are. I think it's really cool that you are going to see basically the two top seeds in the country going head-to-head tomorrow. It's going to be an awesome game, but I do like Gonzaga in this game, and I'll tell you, for some reason, I think Gonzaga is going to win it by double digits. I think that uh, that that it's going to be not as close. We're all hoping to see a really close game because both these teams have been so dominating throughout the tournament. Other than yesterday, when uh, you know Gonzaga had that close call, but uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a real tough thing. Baylor. Again, the key to Baylor winning this game is to play the best defense of the season, which they do play good defense, but they're going to be, you know, they're going to really have to show why they're the best three-point shooting team in the country, and they are going to have to shoot from the perimeter. But my guess is, you know, guys like Suggs, um, they'll they'll get out on them. They'll get out and play defense, and um, it's going to be a real tough road. I'm hoping we see a good game, but I don't think so, Spencer. I'm kind of agreeing with you. I think the Zags is is where you should put your money on tomorrow night's game. I just don't see how they get beat, especially after having that close call against UCLA and the wake-up call. I I just don't know. the the, the, It's going to be hard. As good a defense that Baylor can play, 
they haven't played anyone in the likes of Gonzaga. Matter of fact, nobody has other than UCLA. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see what happens tomorrow. But I would put my money on Gonzaga. Spencer, as we wrap things up, we're just about out of time. I mentioned uh, a football guy, uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the league is staying put. Uh, Russell Wilson, who was putting it out there, wanted to play for the Raiders, which I know we were keeping our fingers crossed, kind of. That would have been cool. He was looking at New Orleans. He was looking at Chicago, and then once uh, Dak Prescott signed the big deal with Dallas, he took his name out of the hat there. But none of those teams were able to step up enough, and Seattle wasn't ready to let him go. So now they're looking for help. And it looks like the help might come from, you know, you've already got one of the best receivers in the game who I think is going to even step up more this year, as good as it gets there. Uh, They've got two real good receivers in, in, in Seattle, but they need a third. And I think the third is going to come from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're looking at Chris Godwin, but all of a sudden they're looking at Antonio Brown. Somebody Russell Wilson loves in what eight games he scored four touchdowns. Antonio Brown now maybe his NFL legs back underneath him. How different would that team be with a Goodwin or a Brown going to Seattle? Uh, well, first I'll tell you it's a blessing that Russell Wilson didn't come to the Raiders because they would have wasted the rest of his career or as long as his contract would have gone through. Uh, you know, but. The thing about Antonio Brown is he understands, he's much more aware of himself than I think people give him credit for. To play for Tom Brady last year, and the fact that he ended up on the Raiders meant all he had to do was do whatever antics he needed to in order to get there because he knew he was going to win a championship. They were just a much too talented team. Now that now you wonder, like now that he does have his ring, does he care about playing football anymore? Is, is it still his number one passion? Can he still get a good behavior out of him? Because now he's kind of gotten everything that he's wanted at this point. Uh, I, I would not want to take that risk, but I can see Seattle wanting to. Uh, he'll definitely never be back in a Raiders uniform. I've already heard cries about that. But, yeah, it's not even worth talking about the Raiders at this point anymore. I already know who they're going to draft, and it's going to kill me inside. In fact, because uh, I know we have to wrap up the show here, uh, and then I just want to say go check out our website, outoflinefoxsportslv.com. I just wrote an article. I did a mock draft of the top ten picks, and I did a scouting report for each player. So go check that out. And check out Spencer's show Friday. Delivering sports and KSHP. And we'll see who they get. DK Metcalf. Uh, I mean, I think he's going to be turn out to be one of the best receivers in football in the next two years. But if the Raiders can get an Antonio Bounder or Chris Goodwin, I mean, excuse me, the Seattle, Seattle Seahawks can. What a formidable team. Listen, we're out of time this out of line. I want to thank Mike McKinnon for joining the show today. That was awesome. Always thank Spencer. Back in studio, Damon Cotton. I'm Brian Feldman. This is out of line. We'll be right here at Kickers every Sunday for the foreseeable future, 8 to 9 a.m. Come on down and join us. And again, we'll be back next week. Um, I believe Ron Futel, uh will be on with us next week. And he just switched, switched channels over to Channel 13. So should be a good show. He's got some great, great sports knowledge. You'll love it. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.